The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon in his annual letter saying the banking crisis is far from over. The idea that he called it a banking crisis throughout, I think puts people a little bit on notice with this too. And a matching warning from real estate mogul Barry Sternlicht, who says the U.S. is headed for recession. All else being equal, inflation's going down. The PPI's down. You're seeing lots of things coming down. Wage growth is slowing. Disney CEO Bob Iger is firing back at Florida, and he's talking to shareholders. Both stories in the House of Mouse with analyst Jessica Ehrlich. They're growing, they're adding attractions, they're adding push-ups, and it almost seems insatiable, demand from consumers. Those stories plus Google cutting costs where it can. Do they even have paper at Google? Maybe that's why they're getting rid of the staplers, by the way. It's April 4th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's talk about some drama in the Mouse House. Uh, Bob Iger going on the offensive here. Disney CEO ripping Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at yesterday's shareholder meeting, calling his actions, quote, retaliatory and anti-business. He also says anti-Florida. His comments come after the governor asked the state's inspector general to determine whether Disney's legal maneuver to retain control of its special district is legal. Now, at that meeting, Iger referenced Disney's opposition of the legislation that critics called the Don't Say Gay Bill that limits early education teachings on sexual orientation or gender identity. He said the company may not have handled that position uh, that it took very well. That was, of course, by, done, done by his predecessor. But Iger defended the company's right to free speech and criticized the governor for punishing the company for its exercise of a constitutional right. So uh, I think a lot of folks thought he might stay away from some of these issues. He went right into it and said, here we are. And I think he thinks that the Florida citizens are actually on his side, not well, on the Well, this must be a case side. where they've tried to negotiate and probably realizing it's not going to work, that you know, these are pretty tough measures, so you might as well take it head on. Perhaps, but I mean, the other question is, if you said nothing, does it, you know, it's not going away, obviously, but is it, is it, could you keep it, keep it simmering under, you know, under a boil or something? I don't know. I don't know how it <clears throat> finally turns out either. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a the whole King Charles thing. Different King Charles, uh, I'm told. Right? But, it, but it's fascinating to see what do you think of the citizens, you know, what do the citizens think of Florida? What do the... Um, Employees think they're, they're planning on cost, building, you know, spending part, billions of dollars in the yeah. coming years to you, you could argue ramp he's, up more he's of the also parks there. To, to some degree, either either he's being held hostage in Florida because he can't leave, meaning Bob Iger, or DeSantis is 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 you know there's there is like this strange. I mean, there's been new developments, but all of this was known 
at the time of the last election. So I don't, I'm not saying that a vote for Ron DeSantis in Florida had anything to do with his position on Disney, because I don't think it did. I don't think it did either. But he was still a, you know, incredibly popular uh, in an election where Republicans, as a rule, um, well, he had just, just done a very didn't good really job hit their dealing mark with the hurricane at all, right? In, but then you start to think about his national ambitions, and if you start to right. think you're you're up against not just other candidates, but to the degree that you think there's a corporation which is a beloved company in America for the most part, and that's what's so interesting to me. If Bob Iger is putting either either <clears throat> he's convinced that the his customer base is coming with him on this, and it doesn't matter, or or something else, but it, my only point is it, you're putting yourself up against bo- both of these sides. But it depends. In, in an <clears throat> not, you know, Republicans aren't monolithic, I don't think, and there's plenty of Republicans that wish that a company wasn't getting in, or that uh, the government wasn't getting involved in any of this. We've heard, we've had them come oh, we've had here a lot of, and said, a lot of Republicans but then there are a lot of made a huge mistake. There's a whole other part of the Republican of Republicans that probably are. At least have raised some eyebrows with some of Disney's moves, and, and you know, the, if you go woke, you go broke. That whole thing. So there's some the Republican are, symbiotic relationship with business has not been the same over the last, I'd say, ten years. I know <laughs> they don't necessarily go hand in glove. Right. There's a huge movement, McCarthy and others, to go against the Chamber of Commerce. Even here, we decided we really liked it. I, I, we don't always love certain. You know, we don't always love business here. And in this case, since it's against DeSantis, I think we'd like it. I'm talking, not, not talking about us. I'm just talking about overall our, how our coverage is sort of being directed. The U.S. Virgin Islands amending its lawsuit against J.P. Morgan and its ties to uh, Jeffrey Epstein, alleging that Epstein's behavior was, uh, quote, so widely known at J.P. Morgan that senior executives joked about Epstein's interest in young girls. That largely referred to, uh, to one executive's 2008 email, which was redacted in the complaint. Uh, lawyers for the bank have previously described the claim as meritless. Former- People did know that, by the way. This is that part everybody knew. How long does how, he, what kind of legs does this have? The, we're still talking about Jeffrey Epstein. I'm just saying, back in no, two, at least in 2008, people knew obviously because he'd, he'd been he'd been yes. right. And and he and got a, indicted, but he got that charged. sweet deal from who was it? Someone who, who then be, had a national position. I can't remember exactly right. a national position, who had arranged that sweet deal. I think he was in the Trump administration, wasn't he? Yep. And he had arranged a. I mean, the deal was, and then suddenly Epstein was out again. I'm not out of uh, incarceration, but he was out and about. It was like, and yeah. and well-known people started like fraternizing again with him even though even after even after because the deal that he got sort of it didn't exonerate him but it was like oh it's okay now i, I forget you know i am not going to mention any names but some pretty high profile people a lot of them yeah even after that that deal it was, it was a question right? what was it the, the guy's name it was began with an a he was uh he had been in florida and then he became a national uh, we'll look it up yeah we'll he was in up. the cabinet i think we got some service cuts to talk about at Google uh, because they are cutting back. That's according to a company-wide email sent Friday by the finance chief, Ruth Porat. Portions of that email viewed by the Wall Street Journal, other documents viewed by CNBC saying Google cutting back on fitness classes, everything from staplers and tape 
to the frequency of laptop replacements for employees in a statement to CNBC. A spokesman saying, in part, we're making some practical changes to help us remain responsible stewards of our resources while continuing to offer industry-leading perks, benefits, and amenities. Google, of course, in the middle of a cost-cutting plan now that it includes eliminating 12,000 jobs. CNBC had previously reported that Google had declined to pay the remainder of maternity and medical leaves for laid-off employees. So I don't know how many how many employees were really using staplers All I can think in this of is day and age. office work movie with the guy with the stapler. I need my stapler as they move him to the basement. <laughs> Nobody has a stapler anymore. Nobody has paper anymore. Do they even have paper at Google? Maybe Office that's why space. they're getting rid of the staplers, by the way. Right. Look at you. Oh, my Look God. You, you. Do have a st- you, you are. <laughs> she carries around a BlackBerry. And you've got got a, a, no, no I have an iPhone. You've got a I pen a and a notepad. I do. I still write. When I write, I, I, it's actually painful for me because it, I'm like, it's been so long. I think it's like, Sound ac- like my children. It's like atrophied. Yes. And if it's cursive, it's like, forget it. I mean, my P, I just, I, I can barely, my name doesn't look good anymore. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, dissecting Jamie Dimon's 43-page warning to investors. Throughout this letter, it looks like he's, he's describing sort of the economic or at least banking situation as a crisis. And reacting to that letter with real estate mogul Barry Sternlicht. We don't agree on everything. I agree on the recession issue. I think inflation is going to drop hard. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. We've got some breaking news uh, crossing literally as we speak. J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon's annual letter to shareholders is just out. Always a well-read letter um, about the world of uh, the economy and banking and especially uh, what he's saying now, very, very important. Let's talk about what he's talking about. The first piece of this looks like he's talking about inflation. He says if we have higher inflation for longer, the Fed may be forced to increase rates higher than people expect despite the recent bank crisis. Note, by the way, he's also calling it a bank crisis. Throughout this letter, it looks like he's, he's describing sort of the economic or at least banking situation as a crisis. Meantime, on the current economy, Diamond writes... Quote, pretty good, but storm clouds ahead. He addresses the recent turmoil and role of banks, given everything that we've been seeing with SVP, Signature, and um, First Republic Bank. He says, quote, the failures of SVB and Credit Suisse have significantly changed the market's expectations 
The market's odds of a recession have increased, and while this is nothing like 2008, it is not clear when this current crisis will end. Again, using the word crisis. On regulatory responses right now, Diamond warns, quote, it is extremely important that we avoid knee-jerk, whack-a-mole, or politically motivated responses that often result in achieving the opposite of what people intended. That, of course, in response to uh, all sorts of calls in Washington in the past several uh, weeks in the fa after the failures of these banks uh, to form some new forms of regulation. And then he says this about bank valuations, quote, we need banks to be attractive investments. It is in the interest of the financial system that banks not become uninvestable because of uncertainty around regulations that affect capital, profitability, and long-term investing. That was something that actually happened after 2008 for a period of time as everybody watched and waited to hear uh, about where Dodd-Frank would ultimately land and what that legislation would look like. And people are talking about right now in terms of whether you, you want to be invested in these, in these banks. And then he talks about the company's strategy as well, really a new strategy. I don't know if it's a new strategy, but he says this, we really don't like crying over spilled milk, although sometimes uh, do. The new reality is that some things, for example, holding certain types of credit are more efficiently done by a non-bank. That's actually, um, I, don't, I don't know if that's a turn for him, but it's an interesting shift in terms of acknowledging that the Apollos of the world and so much of the banking business have, frankly, being done today by non-banks. I mean, he, he's one of the very few people who writes his own annual letter without lawyering it up. What his letter reads like is what Jamie talks like, and I, I think it's that authenticity. Well, that not exactly like what he talks mm, like. Uh, no, F-ball. Pretty close, yeah, well, pretty close to what he would talk like, <laughs> to what he speaks, um, to how he speaks. Um, but his views on the financial crisis, incredibly important. You're right, the idea that he called it a banking crisis throughout. I think puts people a little bit on notice with this too. Um, his calls for not getting too into regulatory mess with things or making the banks uninvestable are what we hear from a lot of people right now. Will they say that the banks can't do share buybacks? Right. Will they say that they can't issue dividends? Um, those are some pretty big questions. Well, especially can they, well, can they not do some... what they want to do because they have to keep so much capital? Well, that was the whole argument to let smaller banks right. not adhere to. We'll try to bring you some of the rest of this in just a moment. By the way, this is now fully 40, as I'm looking at it real time, pages? 43 pages. Oh, We're at a total cow. of 43 pages. It's not chat GPT, And, and right? the, I don't think so. Um, he makes an impassioned uh, sort of play on behalf of regional um, and community banks as well, which is interesting because he's been a beneficiary, of course, of the fact that some of those banks have struggled. So, and he actually says it's super important that we have them and explains why, and we'll get into all of that. Well, the New York Times had a piece later. that just laid out what happened behind the scenes with Jamie Dimon kind of right. being pushed by the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, to invest the $30 billion that they wound up coming up with. I guess he was kind of right. tasked with going to the other bankers to right. come up with money um, to put in for First Republic and kind of the pressure that was put on them and the idea that he said, I don't want to do this again, like what happened in, in 2008, where he was kind of pushed into buying some of these. He didn't want to buy the bank, didn't right. want to turn around and do that. but. These bankers are going to be the ones who end up paying for the sins of some of the bankers who weren't as grisic averse, who didn't deal with problems. Age-old tension, though, because bankers want to be investable. But to be investable, you need to deploy capital. And that's antithetical to what people that say you want a completely safe banking industry, this is what you need to do in terms of capital. 
And they're, they're always going to push back on that because you're not going to make nearly as much money if you have capital ratios that are as high as people like the hawks would, would really want for capital ratio. What would be ironclad? What do you think a capital ratio would be for? And could, would the banks then think, be utilities? I don't think the issue is about an iron, is it, I don't even think it's about an ironclad capital? capital ratio. That's not really the issue at this point. The issue is, are you guaranteeing everybody's deposit? Because the, the issue is, as long as you're guaranteeing everybody's deposits. We're not going to do that, though. Which, well, we've implicitly done. And the question is, as long as that's that bad. is the case. Well, then, 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 and by the way, that's not good for the capitalistic system, or by the way, the compensation of these bankers, the margins, because the, then obviously Washington is going to sit around and say, if we're saving you every single time, which we are, right? right. We become, we're in the bailout business. That's but, the but business we're in. It's, it's a pretty, it's a lightly veiled what, swipe that he's taking, this non-bank well, institutions that are able to if do so bankers, much more efficiently what banks used to do, to say all of the risk is moving to the places where the regulators aren't looking anyway. Bankers knew there couldn't be a run. They'd promise all kinds of returns to depositors that they couldn't... And that they you couldn't, don't think that that's what's happened here? Kind of, and yeah, it's not it good. <laughs> that's and what's happened not, here. And it's not good. There has to be... The whole idea is if you're going to try to risk capital to make money, you've got to be able to lose money, and we're losing sight of that. And that's the issue. So the question is, well, do you save all those guys at SVB Well, or that's not? why I'm saying that the way to do it, the way to do it is not to guarantee all the, the deposits. It's to increase the capital ratios to where you don't have to worry about a deposit run, ever. Well, if you, but then if you, you can't, increase the capital ratio to the point where then, then nobody you lend any money out. Right. That's Correct. what I mean. Then you're, the economy, uh, that's what he's right. talking about. Then you're uninvestable. There's no and, reason and to invest in the economy. And it hurts the economy. If you're not, if banks are economy. loaning to businesses. But but that's, the, that's what I'm saying. It's right. the age-old tension. Bankers want to go wild. And, and you know, remember uh, Stan O'Neill looked at what mortgage guys were making. He's like, I got to get into this. Yeah. And yeah, then but the I rest think is I think there's two different things here. The, I think when we talk about capital, well, there's, capital ratios matter in, in many ways. But the issues of 2008 were a totally different function right. because those were... But now they're those not. were levered investments, effectively. Now they're levered not. loans. Now it's still capital ratios, but it's risk-weighted capital doesn't tell you what your capital actually is because you're all you're calling it all money good, and you know the, the, the total difference between assets that are available for sale and assets that are held to maturity. And that's what worries me is whether that was the tip of the iceberg. How many people have long duration um, balance sheets that? that if there was a deposit run where they'd have the same issue. By the way, J.P. Morgan, separately a, from Jamie Dimon, said that U.S. banks pulling from reserves to cover for cash depositors are withdrawing or setting up a potentially calamitous situation down the road. In March, there was something like $300 billion that was pulled out of the U.S. banking yeah. system. $360 billion went into U.S. money markets as people are seeking higher yields. But that's separate. J.P. Morgan. So this latest incident this. isn't over. I was. I put it behind me. I don't no. think we're. I don't think we're out of the woods just yet, my friend. We want to bring in our big guest this hour. Barry Sternlicht is the chairman and CEO of Starwood Capital. And Barry, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the letter. Jamie makes comments about how the odds of a recession are even higher now. You could be looking at this banking crisis continuing, not knowing when it ends. But he also said that inflation could be much more stubborn than people realize, and that could force the Fed to raise rates even higher than people are anticipating. What would you say to that? First, I'm a huge fan of Jamie's. So, um, you know, he runs probably one of the best banks in the world, and he's been an amazing steward of shareholder value. Uh, we don't agree on everything. I agree on the recession, as you know from my last appearance. And I think um, 
I, I think inflation is going to drop hard. And there's a CPI slide that I brought with me that shows why. You know, it is about the rent component of CPI. And food is already dropping. And energy was dropping. Energy is a wild card. You know, you can't, you can't actually model what the Saudis just did. Last month, actually, rents were up 0.8, which is almost a 10% rise in, in rates. And in fact, rents are falling. If you correct for this, and there's a lag in the way the government reports rental data, and this is one third of CPI, it's 33% of CPI. If you just make the correction of plus 10, which is what they're reporting, to plus four, which is what the nation is seeing, it'll take headline inflation from four, three to two, six. Just that one correction. You will see this in, in it's probably late summer and the first quarter of the uh, first month of, of the fall. So all else being equal, inflation's going down. The PPI's down. You're seeing lots of things coming down. Wage growth is slowing. I mean, this Where, isn't a bull actual, market. Where does the actual rent data come from? Uh, that rent data? Yeah. Uh, from, uh, it's a national data state base. But we have 125,000 apartments. We, we can model it. It's, it's not even across the country. If you go to Florida, South Florida right. rents are up 10%. You go to Austin, they're down 4 Denver's down four. They're actually places where they're going down. All over California, rents are falling. Actually, double digits, so in apartments. So the, the way they do that, that the survey of households, is somewhat archaic. I mean, they started this survey 50 years ago, 1981, before they had the internet. And they've updated it three or four times, but it's not the way. They could go right online to apartments.com and pick up actual rents that people are charging. They call homeowners and ask people what they could rent their house for. Yeah. And if, right. if the government calls me, I'm hanging up the phone. There's a lagged effect, but it gets back to it. So do you expect two or three months is when that actually shows up in the CPI numbers No, like they four use? to six months. What you'll see is what the Fed missed was when rates were going crazy in 21, their data didn't show it. Mm -hmm. So while we thought inflation was through the moon and beyond, they said, uh, we'll keep rates low because there's no inflation, it's transitory. It wasn't transitory. That was 100% the result of all the stimulus packages. You know, that was flush consumers coming back to the cities and rents rose everywhere. New York, Peoria, you know, Dallas, everywhere. It was Albany. And we were, I was in shock. And they were up 20%. And so that is what really drove CPI for five months By the way, in a row. I will give you credit for saying at the time you thought they needed to raise rates sooner. Yes, yes. Okay. And, you know, they, they did. I don't know why the Fed has such credibility today when they, they, they really are. As they don't have any I saw credibility. Do the markets give them any credibility no, right I, now? So I think Jamie's wrong. I think we're going into no a serious recession. And the government has an interesting problem, but not for the reasons he stated. They have a massive deficit, and they keep feeding the deficit. That forces rates higher because too much supply of paper to pay for the deficit. Receipts are going down because capital gains are going away. Real estate, as we'll talk as a complex, values are down. So with interest rates up, values that's, are down. Well, that's the one thing I would say. So receipts are going down, and interest expenses going up. He's going to have to, the deficit will grow. He'll have to print more paper. That should force rates up, which would make the economy weaken further. So he's going to have the opposite problem. He's going to have rates going up and the economy weakening, and he's going to have to lower. Why aren't they going up now? Well, I think it's a, it's a, I think, I think the markets, I agree with, first of all, I agree with you. The credit markets are smart. You know, they, they know that this cannot last. And, you know, you have no, very low consumer confidence, very low savings rates, very low CEO confidence, recessions to serious layoffs covering through the service industries. I heard earlier, education and healthcare are not interest rate sensitive. And the one thing that we missed, and Jamie talked about it, was the regional banking crisis. You know, we just, we just missed it. But when you look at what it actually looks like, the only thing Powell affected with his last quarter point increase in rates was knocking another 
50 billion out of the bank of the regional bank's balance sheets. For every point he raises or lowers interest rates, he's adding or taking away 200 billion dollars of losses or adding capital to the banks. Right. So if he goes down two points, he adds 400 billion dollars of capital Within to the regional the duration banks. Duration risk that they've got with all the loan stuff. Yeah, that duration risk is because they didn't have to mark the market as a significant portion exactly. of their books. So. Lee Cooperman was here yesterday. Yep. He said that. The next place he thinks this hits, obviously, is commercial real estate. Yep. It's a business you know well. Where do things stand? Is there well, a potential so for prices So you've seen, there? in the regional bank crisis, what you saw was the SVB sale of, uh, of, of a small portion of their held to maturity book, which popped that $1.8 billion loss. And people went, whoa. And everyone started looking around, like, we better look at these balance sheets. And every bank, as you know, that we looked at was insolvent. They haven't touched the CRE book. And the CRE book, the commercial real estate book, for regional banks is almost two billion trillion dollars. Right. The big banks are 800, 900 billion, right? It's 28% of loans versus 6% of loans for the big banks. Mm -hmm. They are long CRE. And we know that rates are up, real estate values are down, and there's no markdowns yet of scale. So that's why this regional banking crisis, I totally agree with Jamie, is far from over. And you know, Signature Bank, which failed here in New York, is about to auction $30 billion of their loans. Uh, the, the whole loan book the government took back, it's going, right. and we'll, we'll be bidding. I'm sure most of my peers will be organizing to bid. But it'll be, a, it'll be the first of the RTC-like, right. FDIC-like Will the government make assets. a lot of money doing this? Will they make money? Yeah. No. They'll lose. Will you? Well, actually, it's up to Powell. If he lowers rates, the government will make money. So right. why if are you going to bid on it? High. It, 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 You're going to get prices well, that are bargain prices yeah, that you I can think, hold on to it? Yeah, and they'll have to finance the deal. The government, which is what they did uh, back in the FT in 2008, that we bought a bank called Chorus Bank, and it failed. A $9 billion loan book, original cost, $6 billion book, and we paid $3.7 billion for it, and we borrowed two-point-something billion from the government for 10 years. The government partnered with us. Unlike the RTC days in 2008, we went 60-40 with the government. What? What did you do with the bank, bank long-term? Well, actually, there were 11 branches, so they shut them, and they just sold the loans, which is yeah. basically what's happening with Signature Bank. They're just going to sell the $30 billion, $19 billion of which is multifamily in the tri-state area. And it'll be fascinating to see what happens, because it'll be a first test of where do you think, what's the price. clearing price? Right. Like, what's the price? And, and when so you get to the- this is mark to market. This is, this is pure mark to market. Yeah. They, they took these loans out of the bank, sold the remnants of the operating bank. Was, to, that, was that the deal the, that you got just hammered for as, as being yeah, wrong? We it, made almost 25% of exactly, our money. Exactly, but that's the one that said there's just no way this works. That's right. It was the front page of the Wall Street Journal that overpaid by $500 million. So, Barry, though, when you think about the regional banks yeah. that are gonna be- This is gonna play out, this, this, if this happens, this will play out across the country okay, so, for the but, next and year and by the half. way, this is reflected. Morgan Stanley put out a report, I think, just yesterday or two days ago about commercial real estate. I mean, yeah. it just I mean, suggested this, a bloodbath is coming. Um, what, which well, bank, would you own a regional bank right now at all? No, I mean, Ch pa Chairman Powell said that banks are solvent. They're solvent because the government's standing behind their balance sheets. They borrowed $300 billion from them. No, I probably wouldn't own a regional bank. They won't all fail. Um, and I, but I think they won't all fail. <laughs> okay, so what happens but, okay. but, No, I mean, what, well, what happens is a prolonged credit crisis. These banks right, are... Okay, but if I'm, I'm making you Janet Yellen for the day or Jay Powell for the day or whomever who can whisper but and call... It's and all in Powell's well, hands. So what would, I, beyond lowering rates, you, you what have would to, you do? You have to back up. There is actually, other than the office asset class, real estate is actually performing really well. Like apartments are full. Houses, single family for rent houses are full. Hotels are really chock-a-buck full. Rent is going down. 
Yeah, well, rents are going down in some cities that have you know situations like like Austin where they have mass layoffs. But in general, rents there's no overbuilding. There's almost the doesn't real estate support, behaved doesn't itself. Doesn't that support Jay Powell saying, well, you know, maybe we got to keep. Keep, keep, well, no, so on. you have a, you have rents that are full and income streams from these real estate assets, but he he crushed them by raising rates so far so fast. So the cap rate or the yield you're willing to pay for the property reflects interest rates and also the availability of credit. So in the multi market, you have Fannie and Freddie willing to lend to you. So those markets are very healthy. We just put an asset for sale in Virginia. We had 33 bids for a multi, and they're trading around four and a half, four and three quarter percent, which is actually in line with Fed funds and below the total cost of the borrowing, right? So the Saudis cut production. He's got to go up. We've got to deal with this higher oil prices by raising interest rates. No, we don't. That's ridiculous. Coming up on Squawk Pod, changes afoot in the Magic Kingdom. Analyst Jessica Ehrlich on Bob Iger's message to Disney shareholders. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to fix. The film division, the profitability of Disney+, Plus, some of the strategic issues that they face, whether it's Hulu or ESPN. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Earlier, uh, we covered Disney CEO Bob Iger's beef with Disney. I, I, beef is what we use usually. Isn't that what they use like between like musicians and stuff on Twitter? They have a beef, right? But it's an easy way to describe it. But is that what it is? I guess it is. In this case, it's a beef. I'm with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now let's turn to Iger's comments at the shareholder meeting about other challenges at the company from fixing the film decision to driving profitability uh, at Disney+. Plus. Uh, joining us now is Jessica Reef Ehrlich, B of A Security Senior U.S. Media and Entertainment Analyst. And we'll keep it to, to subjects other than that. I, I, I understand, Jessica. I don't, there's a lot of assumptions you would have to make about the culture wars and what happens with uh, this Disney board. And I, I don't know how you factor that in to deciding what to do with Disney stock. That's why I don't know if I'd comment or if I'd want uh, to try to figure that out either. There's just too many variables. So let's stick to, we'll stick to the fundamentals of the business itself. You'd prefer that. Okay, although I will just say that I think Bob Iger has handled himself incredibly well since he's back. He's dealt with a lot of distractions. Um, and even at the shareholder meeting yesterday, there were some pretty antagonistic questions and he treated everybody with respect. So, uh, you know, he's not, doesn't sound to me like he's putting fuel on the fire. I heard in Florida, you know, I heard your comments earlier. I mean, but he has a point of view and he said it very respectfully. Exactly. Um, but with that said, um, now the, the hard part probably uh, begins. The, the theme park's a bright spot. Uh, theme parks, I guess. Yes. I mean, theme parks have been packed. It's obviously a rolling spring break. Um, but the demand for... You know, Disney products, particularly the theme parks, has, you know, post-COVID has surprised everybody. And it feels like this is a multi-year run. Typically, when there's a downturn, whether it's 
COVID, 9-11, or, you know, like a major recession, um, the or gas crisis, whatever has happened in the past, there's a five to 10 year uh, period of growth. And Disney has a lot. I mean, they're, besides the park itself, I mean, they're growing, they're adding attractions, they're adding cruise ships. And the, it, it almost seems insatiable, demand from consumers. The, uh, a lot of people point out that just the, the stock price itself, and I, was that a pandemic uh, bubble or a, a, a Disney Plus streaming bubble? I mean, it is a long way uh, from the highs, from, from $190 a share. Absolutely. Uh, the, this company, you know, Bob Iger came back to a company that has many challenges, and he's you know, kind of dealt with the distractions so he can focus on, on improving the company. And there's a lot to do. I mean, there's a lot to fix. The film division, the profitability of Disney+, Plus, um, some of the strategic issues that they face, whether it's Hulu or ESPN. So he's, you know, kind of tackling it one by one, restructuring the company. Uh, but it, it will take some time. It's just a, uh, it seems like a good problem to have. I mean, it, it, you can all tie it back to expectations for streaming, I guess. I mean, Disney Plus was going to grow forever. With, and who knows about profitability? Uh, necessarily uh, for it. Hulu looked like the like whoever was going to eventually get it was going to be in the catbird seat. Now it's like a hot potato almost. So the world changes so quickly. But what I don't understand is the content is still king. So it's got to be if if people are cutting cords and people are 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 weeding out streaming services they don't want. What what is the survivor? What's the winner? What what does the future look like for for delivering content and who's going to do it? I mean, there, there will be a few diversified services. And I think that the comments that Bob made earlier in the year about um, general entertainment may be uh, confusing. So it, it sounds to us like they're, they're not, look, the Hulu is a put call with Comcast and it seems like D Disney will buy it. Um, but it's not like they're walking away from general entertainment. Their service needs to be a little bit more diversified than just the Disney plus brand, the Disney brands. Um, it just sounds like they will do less they don't need as much content and maybe spend a little less per show. Um, but they will, of course, have general entertainment to attract every all four quadrants. So what is a profitable streaming service? I think you have to deal with pricing. Um, and Disney has introduced an ad tier, and we have yet to see the benefits of that. They've increased their price in the U.S. by 38%, not you know in early December. So we still have the benefit of that to come. And then, of course, there's just the cost realignment. And that's that will take some time, you know, because what's in production is in production. But that will take some time to execute. So it's a combination of really driving revenues, which they're doing again from subscription and advertising, as well as you know, kind of cutting or restructuring that cost base. Right. And how much can you do, uh, Jessica? Uh, we got to rub. But what does he try to do in eighteen months? Does he try to fix everything? Does he try to? Does he spend a lot of time on succession to, to find the right person? Do you try to get it in a good uh, position for the next person to make some of these decisions? I mean, uh, or, or could he go longer than eighteen months? In your view, it's not a long time. So uh, you know, getting a successor this time has to be right. They, they, you know, it's a, obviously really important. Um, but it seems like a pretty short time. We would not be surprised if he extended his tenure. You wouldn't, yeah. I talked about that yesterday. What's it called? What is that thing? Versa Climber. Versa Climber. 
I can do a minute, and then I, I, I have to go lay down. He does supposedly, you know, 45. Half hour, 45 minutes. It's pretty amazing. So I don't, you know, it's not age isn't what it used to be, uh, Jesse, for Bob Iger, at, uh, at least. Anyway, thank you. Just grief early. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard today or any day, let us know. We love hearing from you, our listeners, whether it's in a review or tweet at Squawk CNBC. And if you want even more Squawk, tune in weekday mornings at 6 a.m. to catch Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin live for three hours on CNBC. I'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.